The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And I'll ask you to please turn with me to Romans. We find ourselves in the second chapter. I'm going to read this morning that which we have covered the last two Sundays, and then that will allow us to capture the context so that we can take a look at what we want to examine this Sunday, which is Romans 2, 12 through 16. Now, would you look with me, please, in Romans 2, uh, verses 1 through 11, which we have covered the last couple of weeks. Look with me in Romans chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, boy, I'll tell you, in, in the book of Romans, that therefore is used a whole lot, believe me. This is a tightly constructed epistle in the exposition of the gospel of God. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, uh, for, in, in, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant purpose to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. You know, it's interesting how how people respond to situations in different ways. So I'm going to say something about what I used to do uh, when I would go to a class and I would have the first day of class in which they would pass out the syllabus. I don't know whether you did this or not, but I always did this. The first thing I did when I'd get the class syllabus is find out when is the exam. I knew that was the day of reckoning. That was the day of reckoning, exam day. Uh, that would be the reckoning, that would be the day in which what I put in comes out, and that would be the day of reckoning, the day of accountability, the day of assessment, the day of evaluation, and the day of a verdict. 
that would, I would then have to bear afterwards. That always is there. Well, God is letting us know that when you and I are born into this world, that we have two appointments and we don't know when they are. It is appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. If you are um, not living when Christ comes, then you will meet the appointment of judgment. And then comes, then they says that it is appointed unto men once to die and not an opportunity for, uh, for a remedial class, but then the judgment in which God's divine assessment and my accountability focus on that day. And Paul is taking the time in this epistle, which is the exposition of the gospel of God. His opening verses tell us not only who is writing, not only why he's writing, but what he's writing. He is speaking of the gospel of God. I think it's very interesting that Paul's number one desire is, as he says, I am eager and unashamed to preach the gospel, but the Lord's not letting me come yet, so plan B for me is I'm going to write this gospel about this gospel to you. That's my plan B. But we see once again the divine providence of God. Paul's plan B to send the letter of the gospel actually becomes, uh, we see why that's God's plan A, because not only do the people at Rome get blessed by the preaching of the gospel, as they would have if he was there personally, but we get blessed and the church gets blessed for two thousand years with this gospel this is the gospel that converted augustine this is the this is the epistle in fact martin luther called this the gospel he said this is the clearest gospel he 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 was uh he was absolutely he converted martin luther augustine this was the epistle that god used in the conversion of calvin that god used in the conversion of wesley god used in the conversion of whitfield this last week i was reading a biography of a british actor who was at the end of his life he was in new york he walked out in the streets and he came back absolutely uh, in despair he opened up the bible in the hotel room and when he got to romans 1 16 and 17 he says this is it and then he got to Romans 8, 1. He said, I know it's it. And that British actor was saved. I just read another thing this last week of a Muslim who came to Christ as they handed him the book of Romans. And he said, now it makes sense. I've, I just read recently of a, of a man who was an atheist, who was a Jewish atheist. And he has come to Christ. It, 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 I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying to you. Um, Middle East, North Africa, Europe. North America, South America, isn't it interesting? We don't have to make the gospel relevant. Now we have to translate it into the language, but we don't make it relevant. It transcends all cultures and goes to the most relevant message of all. How can a man be right with God? And how can a man know the presence of God right within his life? How can that happen knowing that you will appear before him. In fact, today we are going to look in verses 12 through 16 at something that is really earth shaking in your life and something that is groundbreaking in your life, something that is transforming in your life if we grasp it. Um, and I know you're probably sitting there, Harry, it seems like every Sunday you say that. Well, welcome to the book of Romans. Every time you just kind of pick in and start, wow, can you believe this? Wow, I better believe this. Well, 
That's the way we are in this particular epistle right now, because we have come to chapter 2 and verses 12 through 16, and he makes us an astonishing statement. Because here's what's in our mind right now. So Paul introduces in verses 1 through 15, and then Paul starts his exposition of the gospel about the grace of God revealed from heaven in Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And then in chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter through verse 32, the end of the chapter, he shows that all pagan Gentiles are under the judgment of God. No one is innocent. And in fact, in this world, to point to the judgment of God and the eternal wrath of God, he will unleash the temporal wrath of God by giving us over. And you see the death spiral of the lifestyle as whenever people sin, they either try to cover it up with euphemisms or they try to blame others. They try to be the victim or they will, they will recruit others into their sin. And that's what you see in the culture of death as together they, dec- they do shamelessly what God says brings the condemnation and shame in the face of a holy God. And they recruit others into that act along with them. Isn't it interesting to see how they engage in it? But then, um, and then we're told that God gives them over. Three times it says. There is the judgment of God on this side of eternity. That our, our, our descent into what I call the sacrament of sin. Which is sexual anarchy. Sexual immorality. That, that, that physical declaration of rebellion against God then sends them into that death spiral. And then he says, but then there are these Gentile pagans who are, have a man-made religion and they say, yeah, they, they pass judgment on. Now, the, the problem is not that they pass judgment. That's not the problem. We all have to make judgments. The problem is they take the position of God to pass judgment on people. We have to pass judgments about what's right, what's wrong, what's sin, what's righteous from the standard of the word of God. But what we don't know is the heart of men and we have no authority to to sit in judgment over men and their heart and eternity. We can warn them of the judgment of God, not our judgment, but the judgment of God, which determines eternity. And so he says that they will, that they are judged through the very light that they have. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, he kind of goes into this thing about the judgment seat itself. Now, when we get to verse 17, he's going to pick up on how do you deal with the Jew. You probably could. When I was reading it, did you see how two times he said that the Jew and the Gentile, they're guilty before God? Well, that see, that heightens back what he said earlier when he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and to the Gentile. So when he makes that statement, he's showing you how relevant it is by showing that the Jew and the Gentile are guilty before God. And now he will then he will bring it to a consummated statement when he says 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why the gospel that saves men and women, Jew and Gentile, all who believe in Christ is so glorious because all are lost before Christ, Jew and Gentile. And he's taking the time to bring all of humanity before the bar of God's justice. And you hear the verdict, guilty, 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 guilty. Is there any hope for the hopeless? Is there any help for the helpless? And of course, we know that glorious message of the gospel. Yes, there is hope, the blessed hope, Christ. Yes, there is help, the helper, the redeemer, Christ, who saves us from our sins. And as he's going through this, your mind is, well, Paul has started the gospel and then he left off his expert. See, here's the way we think about it. Paul started the gospel, Romans 1, 16 and 17. And then he says, no, I need to really get this, why this is so important. So I'm going to go over here and talk about sin. We're helpless, hopeless and guilty. And judgment, we're accountable and a divine assessment and we all have to appear. And then, praise the Lord, we're going to get back in chapter 4 to the gospel. That's what we think. We've kind of gone down a required rabbit trail. We need to get, we need to understand this sin thing and this judgment thing in order to understand the gospel thing. And Paul just in this verse threw a little, uh, grenade into our construction. Go back with me now to Romans chapter two. Go back with me. Here's what we're going to take a look at in verses 12 through 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They know they show the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The judgment by Christ at God's appointment is not a doctrine to set up the gospel. It is a vital element of the gospel. If you don't communicate who we are as sinners and that we are accountable to and will come for all must appear before the judgment seat, you haven't preached the gospel. Because the gospel is the message that by God's grace, you are delivered from your sin and the wrath to come. In other words, if I could put it in the way one of the commentators said it, people won't be brought up to salvation until the gospel message brings them down and they see their condemnation. We won't speak up to confess our sins and claim Christ until our mouths are shut up when we see our sin before the judgment seat of Christ. The gospel is not good news. Jesus is going to be with you. The gospel is the good news. 
Jesus will save you from your sins and will never leave you. That's the gospel. It's not, I get it, I say this reverently. It's not that I get a divine buddy. It's not that I got a, I got a, I've got a, um, I got a rabbit, I got a religious rabbit foot in my pocket. If you get Jesus, man, it's amazing what it's going to do for your business. You get Jesus, boy, you start feeling better about yourself in life. No, no. Folks, the gospel is Jesus who will one day judge the world in righteousness has come to save you from that judgment through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. That's the message. So you can't be brought up in salvation until you realize that sin has brought you down in condemnation. And it's not the condemnation of your neighbor or an organization. It is the condemnation of a holy, righteous God at the day of reckoning, the judgment day. You see, he says this judgment and the reality of our guilt before it is the initial proclamation of the gospel. You can't come to Christ for the solution until you understand the, the desperateness of your situation. Then you come to Christ. And when that happens, you you don't need people to pump up singing Amazing Grace. We can't wait to sing Amazing Grace. I was lost. And the gospel came and told me. I was under God's judgment. And the gospel came and told me. I was helpless and hopeless. I was blind. I couldn't see. I was deaf. I couldn't hear. And the gospel came and told me. And he gave me eyes to see and ears to hear. Not only my situation of condemnation. But God's divine solution of salvation in Christ alone. That's why this is so powerful. That's why it's not that, well, I just think I want to talk about judgment a little bit because you, you won't really appreciate the gospel. No, he's talking about judgment because judgment is part of the gospel message. It is communicating the desperateness of our situation to show the magnificence of the, of the divine solution. Now, what that's why I want you to see this. Here's what, here is your theme that I want you to see. The day of divine judgment is not simply an important doctrine to understand, to appreciate the gospel of God. It is an integral part. It is an integral element in the proclamation of the gospel of God. He says, I'm giving you this about the judgment according to the gospel. This is part of the gospel message. Now, what are some things that it shows? See, the judgment day is a day of reckoning, divine assessment. It's a day of reality. It's a day of clarity. When I was used to grow up, everybody would say, well, boy, you need a reality check. Now, you're living, you're living, you're living in a fool's paradise. You're living, I mean, I remember my daddy had a, we would, 
meet people and talk with people that just didn't make a lot of sense. And uh, maybe it's our problem, but we would meet and talk to people and we'd be out somewhere and, then, and we'd walk away and daddy would look to me and he'd say, man, I wonder what color the clouds are in that boy sky. Uh, and, and that was my daddy's way of saying to me, man, he's living in another reality that's not a reality. He needs to get to reality. So what the judgment day is, it brings us to reality. The judgment day says, sorry, you're not a victim. Sorry, you are. N- there are no excuses. Sorry, there's not an easy go pass lane here today. We must all appear before the judgment seat and what's been done in secret will be proclaimed in the light. That we will account, Jesus said, for every word. We will give an account for the thoughts of our hearts and our minds. We all have to appear there for that day and that judgment. That is part of the gospel message. If it's not clear, then the solution makes no sense. Then the solution becomes a prosperity gospel, a name and claim it gospel, a therapy gospel, a moralistic gospel, uh, a, um, a tribal gospel for a nation instead of the gospel of saving grace that is found in Christ to be saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And that, and, and the glory of what Christ does is unheard of. See, I mean, how can, uh, folks, listen, when you understand that you're dead in your sins, your argument with the sovereignty of God's grace ends because dead people can't choose to live. Now you're glad to hear, oh, there's a sovereign God that's not waiting for me as a dead sinner to tell him he can make me alive. No, there is a sovereign God who doesn't regenerate me when I believe, but regenerates me so I can believe. And the Spirit blows where He wishes. We don't know where He's coming from and where He's going, but we see and hear and feel Him when He comes. That's a sovereign God that's working. And that means I now see the glory of His grace. Well, there's so much to say, and I've only got so little time to say it, so let me just give you these things as headings, and you can go with me from how the judgment, the day of reckoning, brings clarity and reality from in verses 12 and 16. The first thing this this text tells us is on the day of judgment, there is no doubt who will sit in judgment, that God has appointed Christ, his son, to be the judge on that day. That that day will be Christ, the Son of God. Now, will you stop and think about one thing with me about when you get when we think of that? So here's coming a day when I die, and then my next divine appointment is with all of humanity before the judgment seat. Over here is the book of life, and over here are the books. And whether you're, if you're in the book of life, you'll have everlasting life, and if you're in the books, then you'll have everlasting condemnation. Over here in the book of life, the people in this judgment are going to be, come out with a profile. Honor, glory, eternity has governed their heart imperfectly but evidentially in their life. Over here, it was lovers of themselves, obeyed unrighteousness, disobeyed the truth from the heart. And who is it that will make that assessment? And from him will pour forth what's called in the book of Revelation, the wrath of the Lamb that is so 
horrific. The eternal wrath of the Lamb. The place is hell. And there's no remedy. There is no, there is no, um, a, there is no day of atonement in that day. There is only the wrath of the Lamb that is so horrific. The book of Revelation say those will, those who are hearing it will say, let the mountains fall upon us, not the wrath of the Lamb. But here's what I want you to see. The one who will dispense the unmixed wrath of God, the Lamb, is the same one who 2,000 years ago went to the cross and bore that wrath to save you from that day of wrath. He came on that day not to bring this judgment. He came on that day to bear this judgment. That wrath of the Lamb that they pray for mountains to cover them is the same wrath that fell on Him instead of you on that day so you could be saved. The wrath of the Lamb on that day is is dispensed by the one who at Calvary took the wrath of God for you as the Lamb of God to save you in your place on that day. You see how the judgment becomes a part of and vitally integrated with the very message of the gospel of God? Now, let me give you a second thing. The second thing from the text is not only is this judgment of God a part of the gospel because Christ is the judge on that day. The rat, the one who brings the judgment is the Lamb of God who when he pours forth the wrath of God is also the one who has delivered us when he took the wrath of God for us at Calvary. But here's the second thing. Because it's Christ who brings this judgment, it is a judgment that is the text says Impartial and righteous. It is impartial and it is righteous. Or, as we say rightly from the scripture, it, the judgment we have will be according to the light we've been given. And he goes on to say in the text, go back with me just for a moment. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. You mean if they didn't have the written law of God, if they didn't have the Pentateuch, if they didn't have any of that, you mean, um, you mean that they are accountable? Yes, they are accountable because they'll perish without the law. Well, what about those who had the written law of God? Uh, what about those who had that to them? Well, those who um, those will perish without the law and all who sinned under the law that had the law will be judged by the law. So in other words, some will be judged by general revelation. Some will be judged by special revelation. You are accountable according to the light that was given to you. The light that was given to you. But the, but nobody is innocent. Everybody is guilty and everyone perishes if they haven't come to Christ. So it is not the hearers of the law who are, it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Now you gotta be careful here. Now let me make a, this is not saying if you work hard enough you can be saved. This is saying when the judgment comes and the lives are displayed, 
those who had saving faith will be evident through a changed life. That's what it is saying. It is not their work that saves them. It's Christ's work that saves them by faith. But if they're saving faith, there are the evidence of work. Works aren't the reason for our salvation. They are the evidence that we had saving faith in Christ who did the work of our salvation. Or as I've said, if there's a root, there'll be some fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. That's what he's saying. So he's saying those who have Christ will be evidenced in that day. For when Gentiles, he said, what about these Gentiles who don't have the written law? When Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. Have you noticed that? That there are those when they don't have the law, they are doing the things instinctively of the law. They claim the law. They have a sense that's wrong. That's right. Where did they get the notion right and wrong? Where did they get the notion that people ought to be accountable? Where did all that come from? That comes from general general revelation through creation. God puts the work of the law on their heart. They're made in the image of God. Would you think about it this way? The law of God is how we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, and how we love our neighbors, ourselves, those that are made in the image of God, how we love the Lord that we are made in His image, and when that law of God is based upon the attributes of God. Well, over here is someone that doesn't have the written law of God, but they're made in the image of God. That is, they bear His image. So therefore, when they're born, they have the work of the law imprinted upon them. But what do they do without grace? They will suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Their problem is not an information problem. Their problem is a heart problem. That's the problem. So here he is telling us that the day of judgment will be according to the... Did you, did you sin against God under general revelation? Or did you, uh, or did you sin against God having been given special revelation? Now having handled that, to that degree anyway, the reality is, is none of us here are in the category of being judged at the judgment seat under general revelation. Anyone here today that has said no to Christ will come before the judgment seat. Having trampled under our feet the blood of the covenant. Having come before the judgment in the shadow of a pulpit that by God's grace for 60 years has joined other pulpits. To tell you, flee the wrath to come. Come to Christ today while it is today. Our issue is not... Are we going to be judged by general revelation? No, we have had special revelation. And not just the law of God, but the one who bore the curse of the law for us. And the one who obeyed the law in order to clothe us with a perfect righteousness. Why would you die? Why would you not come to Christ today? 
Well, let me give you the other three rapidly here. Number, uh, the third one, the third one from the text as to why the judgment is a vital part of the gospel of God is because the divine judgment of our works is applied to reveal the condition of our hearts and therefore our destination for eternity. In other words, go back with me to, to chapter two and look at verse, um, look with me at verse, uh, uh, uh verse uh, 16. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges. Now he just said he's going to judge the works done in the body, but now he said God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The secrets of our heart. He unfolds the secrets of our heart. In other words, the judgment of the decisions that we made in life, in thought, word, and deed, when displayed, will reveal the condition of our heart. No Christian in that day will get a perfect grade. No Christian in that day will have done enough to save them. They weren't doing things to save themselves. They did what they did for Christ who gave them a new heart and a new record. The works... Have you all ever heard people say... You know, if Christianity became, a, if Christianity became uh, against the law, which maybe it could, at least practicing Christianity, if that becomes against the law, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Well, according to the Bible, when we get to the judgment day, the righteous judge will declare, oh, yeah, they had a saving faith in Christ. Yeah. Here's the evidence. This isn't what saves them. This is the evidence that they were saved by faith in Christ. Here's the evidence. And you'll put it in a profile. See the evidence? There was a beating pulse from their heart where they wanted honor, not depravity. Oh, they had to fight depravity because of that old man that was in them. But they wanted honor. They wanted eternity to shine through. They wanted glory, worship, praise to the living God. There's the verdict. So we will be there. Folks, I want to make it clear. There's one judgment and we all show up. The question is, will you be in the book of life in Christ and your life display it? Or will you be written in the books and your life display seekers of themselves? Disobedient to truth and obedient to unrighteousness. What will it be? Do not hear. If I could just step up on this pulpit, I would, but I won't. Uh, Don't worry. Um, I would get up there to say to you, he is not saying works saved. He is saying God's salvation works. It'll show up. Why? Here's how he puts it. Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You see, what he's telling us, true Christianity, saving faith, is not a say-so faith. It's a do-so faith. That's what he's telling us. Now, it starts say-so. 
I say so, God. I agree with you. I'm a sinner. I have no hope. I am rightly under your judgment. And I am helpless. And I say so. Your son died for sinners like me. Your son died to bring sinners from death unto life. Your son died to remove my shame and my guilt. Your son died to break the power of sin. Your son died to help me by grace eradicate the practice of sin. Your son died to assure me that one day I'll be with him and there'll be no presence of sin. So I say so. He is my Lord and Savior. Now he says, if you say so, now go do so. And on that day, the do so will affirm the say so. On that day, the do so will affirm the say so. It will not take the place of what Jesus did. It will not augment what Jesus did. It will affirm that you have cast yourself only upon Jesus and what he did. But I cannot tell you that you get a pass or he's going to lose your file on that day. He is going to show with your life that your obligations to your sin have already been met in Christ. And the Christ who paid for your sins is the Christ who began to work in your life so that you could kill sin and follow him. So here is the divine, the day of judgment It will be that impartial day in which these things will be revealed, the condition of our heart. And when a new life, now watch, when a new life evidences the new heart, then you can be assured they had a new record. Their sins had been wiped away and paid for by Jesus and his righteousness has clothed them for everlasting life. Number four, the day of judgment, the day of judgment will reveal both the depravity of our sin, yet the majesty of his grace. You know, when I'm a Christian, there's going to be a day of reality and clarity because, I mean, it's abundantly clear. There's going to be a, there's going to be a lot of people, my guess is millions, that are going to show up and say, uh, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. That day's a day of reality and clarity. It's going to clarify who are his and who are not his. And their life will evidence they did not have that personal relationship. Can I put it this way? How do you get to heaven? You have to go through the narrow... Hello? Okay, some of you have not heard about that. To get to heaven, you've got to go through a narrow... It's so narrow, only one fits through at a time. And then after you go through the narrow gate... Then you walk on what? To glory, to the celestial city. A narrow road. Now watch. If you get through the gate, those who go through the gate, where will you find them? On the narrow road. They don't get on the, now watch. They don't get on the narrow road to get to the narrow gate. No, they get to the narrow gate, Jesus, to get to the narrow road. Follow Jesus. So what is the judgment? The judgment day says, see, they're on the narrow road. Now they, they fell off a couple of times here and there and you see this and you see that. It's all, there's a mixed dynamic that's there, but there's the overall evidence they were walking on the narrow road. That narrow road did not save them. Jesus saved them the narrow gate. 
And you don't get on the narrow road to get to the narrow gate. You get to the narrow gate to get to the narrow road to get to glory. And the narrow road reveals who has been through the gate. That's what he's telling us. And that day will be a day of stewardship judgment for us. Uh, How did we handle our gifts, our skills, our calling, our job, our business, our marriage? We'll have to give an account. And what's required of of a steward? Found faithful. So we're accountable. Your children. You know, everything you do in life will amplify in eternity. But there's one thing many of us have done in life that will show up in eternity and is eternal. And that's our children. What did I do with them? There is something that God used me and Cindy to bring into life And their life is forever. Now what did I do with that life? Did I make them into an idol? Did I turn them into idolizing me? Or did I raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? That day is a day of stewardship. It's a day of doxology. But can I give you one more thing? The day of judgment will reveal both the depravity of our sin and yet the majesty of his grace. Folks, you have no idea how much Jesus loves you. I have no idea how much Jesus loves you. Why? Because he has saved you by grace from what? Our sin. I don't know your sin, and you don't know mine, praise the Lord. I don't know your sin. You know more about your sin than I know of your sin. But can I tell you something else? You don't know your sin, not all of it. And on that day, you think you're saved by grace now? You think God loves you? On that day, you'll see the true length height, breadth, and depth of God's love and grace for you like never before because He is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And that's what that day is about, to show you your heart and what He did to save you, to give you a new heart and a new record on that day. I mean, you're talking about singing on that day. I mean, the Pentecostals will have to ask for permission from us. Because that day, we'll see it in all of His glory. Fifthly and finally, the day of judgment is a day of condemnation for the lost, but it's a day of anticipation for the believer. I'm going to give you just a little pastoral confession here. I anticipate that day. Now, I have to tell you, I know when I get to that day, I don't, now listen, 
I'm, I am now just speculating on what I'm going to sense. Everything I've just told you, I believe with all my heart because it's Bible. Now I'm going to tell you something as I look to that day. I can imagine me getting that day and say, oh, Jesus, man, that sermon. Oh, man, I didn't give enough time to it. I didn't give enough prayer to it. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And boy, that and I can just go through all of that. And there's going to be this sense. I know I'm forgiven, but boy, I wish I had been more faithful. Well, just remember, we're never profitable servants, but we do want to hear well done. But there's also the sense of anticipation because this God who has appointed his son who died for my sins is my father. And I know what I felt when my little children came up with a hand-drawn picture of me and Sandy. I didn't say, you can't do any better than this. You remember the first time they came with their crayon book? Son, stay in the lines for crying out loud. No, you just went goo goo gaga over the whole thing and you went out and said, I think my son's going to be an artist. <laughs> and I anticipate that. That's where the well done is the same God who gave his son to save us, now judges us by his son. Then his son who took the wrath for us will then present it to the Father. For by grace they're saved through faith and that not of themselves. It is the work of God. For by grace are they saved through faith and that not of themselves. It is the grace of God. And Father, see, here is your workmanship created by me. For good works, I'm bringing what they did for your glory to you out of love to me. I anticipate that day, and I believe it will carry on into all eternity. So here's the takeaway, and I'll close in prayer. Here it is. It will not be the gospel message that condemns on the day of judgment. But the gospel message today warns us to flee the wrath of the Lamb on that day to come to the triumph of the Lamb in this day. You know, people say, well, Harry, are people going to spend eternity in hell who didn't hear the gospel of God? Well, I like what my friend Sinclair Ferguson says about that. When people ask me that, I can take them to Romans 1 to show them that we're all accountable for the light we receive. But what I love to ask when someone comes to me and says, well, you know, Pastor, what about the people that haven't heard the gospel? He says what he says, and I'm going to try to remember to say it. Well, what are you doing about it? What if I stood up here today and said, summer transition plan, we're going to quit training people how to use the bridge to life to share the gospel at Briarwood. What would you do if I said that? Well, likely I'd get an email from you. But let me ask you a question. We train people to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I said we're not going to do that anymore, you'd be up in arms and rightly so. Have you been trained? Are you sharing them the great news of salvation that the one in that day that judges came to bear your judgment so that you can be saved this day? You see, when I stand there, here's what's going to happen. 
I will go there saying, I know whom I have believed, Jesus. And on that day, Jesus will display, yes, he believed. And I want you to be there in Christ, to live for Christ and to honor Christ. The wrath of the Lamb administered by the Lamb on that day is administered by the one who has won the victory, having borne the wrath of God for us at Calvary, so that you can have new life today. But please don't come to that day. If you're a believer, you'll get there that day, and the one whom you've not seen, you will see. The one who you've not seen, but you've loved, you will see, and you will see him forever. But if you get there that day and you don't know Jesus and the life displays it, that'll be the only day you ever see Jesus. For on that day, he'll say, depart from me. But on this day, you can come to Jesus. Jesus says, come. The gospel says, come. The spirit says, come. The church says, come, come just as I am. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can have a new life that displays a new heart. Not a perfect life, but a new life that displays a new heart that affirms our new record. And we will stand in that day clothed in the righteousness of Christ, saved by the blood of Christ. And with the display of Christ in us, imperfect, but a pulse that was beating from death unto life. So, Father, I pray that you on this day would keep all your people fixed on Jesus. And this day, would you move us into this world? We have the message that tells them of sin and the judgment. And we have the message that tells them the judge has come to save you. And if you come to him on that day, the one who judges will be your defense. Jesus, would you come and minister, I pray, and to your glory. In Jesus' name, I do ask it. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader. Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.